a spot with a, a number of people, so that's always good to hear. Uh, always appreciate getting the feedback, um, both positive and negative. Actually, don't get much negative, but in fact, I don't know if I've had any. But uh, you guys, yeah, I'm really pleased that it hit the spot. I want to take a slightly different angle on um, on it this week, and uh, I actually um, we are going to read a whole pile of scripture uh, this week, and um, it's going to be good. I have titled today's message. What was it like to be one of the twelve? What was it like to be one of the twelve? Now, there's a process uh, in biblical study called exegesis, uh, and a process called hermeneutics. Now, I uh, sometimes I often get these mixed up, uh, which way around they go. But ex- I'm pretty sure, and our biblical study students will help me on this one. Um, that one is the process of looking at the then and there, then and there. So looking at the context of the time and, and actually getting a feel for what was, the, what was going on around them at that time, what was taking place. Um, and then there's the process of taking, okay, so the truths that were learnt then, how do we then pull them through to 2,000 years later and apply them to, uh, to now? So I'm pretty sure exegesis is looking at the then and there. Hermeneutics is the process of bringing it into the here and now the then and there, to the here and now. So we're going to do a little bit of that today. And we're just going to look at a number of accounts of the disciples um, and uh, and pull out. And this is what I want you to be thinking about with each one of these accounts, because this is going to be very interactive today, um, is that uh, what I want you to be thinking of is what was it like for them? For those disciples, what was it like? Do you want to just, um, yeah, just give me a bit more light up the front. Thanks, guys. That'd be awesome. Now, is there anyone that, because we're reading a lot of Scripture today, is there anyone who has ever thought, man, I really want to read a Scripture in church? You know, I'd really like to get behind that pulpit, and I'd just like to preach out Matthew 4, verse 18. Anybody? Anybody? Come on. Come on. This is the opportunity of a lifetime. You know, this is what, this is what I thought you all get out of bed in hope of on a Sunday morning, is that you might be able to get behind the pulpit. Anybody want to come and help me this morning? Man, you guys are risk takers. This is awesome. Come on, somebody must. I saw a hand raised there, but it was brushing here. Okay, right, I'm going to read all the Scripture myself. But, you know, you had the opportunity to hear someone else's voice, namely your own. So here we go. Matthew 4, verse 18. If you've got your Bible... Turn uh, to Matthew 4, verse 18. We're going to crack through a lot of Matthew. We're going to have a quick look at Mark and a little look at John. Okay, so now you be thinking at the end of this, I'm going to ask you, what was it like to be one of the 12? Okay, here we go. As Jesus was walking beside the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon called Peter and his brother Andrew. They were casting a net into the lake for they were fishermen. Come follow me, Jesus said, and I will make you fishers of men. At once they left their nets and followed him. Going on from there, he saw two other brothers, James, son of Zebedee, and the brother John. They were in a boat with their father, Zebedee, preparing their nets. Jesus called them, and immediately they left the boat and their father, and they followed him. What was it like to be one of the disciples, one of those guys on that particular day? Give me a few thoughts. Yep, yep, spontaneity, definitely spontaneity. Well, let's forget the nets, let's go. We're following him. Yep. Empowering. Yeah, good one. Very good. Um, if, we, if we build on that a little bit, for them, it was, this was a huge honour to actually be chosen by a rabbi. 
Um, and so for those who were, um, you know, they were right into their God stuff, uh, you know, they would want to uh, become a rabbi. And so there was this uh, process that you would go through and the attrition rate of becoming the disciple of a rabbi was probably higher than that of getting into the SAS. You know, it, this was pretty full on. So to actually for these guys to now be chosen by a rabbi, uh, and by that stage, Jesus was probably starting, you know, there's a, there a, a few rumors starting to flow around. There, there was a bit of an understanding that, you know, he had some pretty sharp stuff. Um, and so suddenly he comes along and he says, I want you. And, and, and you know, there was that sp- spontaneity, but there was also, wow, I've been chosen. Man, I'm going. So it was a big, it was a buzz, wasn't it? It was something pretty cool for them. It was like getting a, an elite job. You know, it's like that job of a lifetime um, and um, or that training opportunity that only the very best get into. And Jesus said, I want you. So to actually be called a disciple of Jesus is an incredible privilege. Have you ever thought of it in that light? For us to be able to say we are disciples of Jesus, that's a huge privilege. Pretty cool, eh? Okay, let's, let's keep moving. Matthew 4, verse 23. Uh, anybody want to come and read it for me? Through 25. Great. Gee, oh, come on, come on, yeah. Okay, 23 through to 25. That nice wee passage through there. I need the microphone. Okay, Jesus went throughout Galilee, teaching in their synagogues, preaching the good news of the kingdom, and healing every disease and sickness among the people. News about him spread all over Syria, and people brought to him all who were ill with various diseases, those suffering severe pain, the demon-possessed, those having seizures, and the paralyzed, and he healed them. Large crowds from Galilee, the Decapolis, Jerusalem, Judea, and the region across the Jordan followed him. Good job. Very good. Okay, what was it like to be a disciple? You've got, you've got healings breaking out left, right, and center. Everyone that's coming to Jesus being healed. But we've got people that are traveling from, you know, the North Island. We've got travel, people traveling from Bluff, from Stewart Island. The Chathams have heard about it. They're starting to send people. What was it like to be one of Jesus' disciples? Exciting. Yeah. What else? Crazy fun? It's like, you know, you're, you're at the forefront of something that's really rolling here. So uh, who wants to be part of something that's growing and, you know, word is spreading about it and you're at the beginning of it? Pretty crazy, eh? Pretty wild for them. Uh, they were kind of at the forefront of a mega revival. Yeehaw. So, uh, so yeah. Anyway, okay. Get ready to, uh, to speak to me after this one. Anybody want to come and read Matthew 8 for me? Verse 14. Matthew 8, verse 14 through to 17. It's a nice one. It's very easy. It's a nice, simple one. Very good. Yep, kind of. Go for it. Okay, so that bit through to that bit. When Jesus came into Peter's house, he saw Peter's mother-in-law lying in bed with a fever. He touched her hand and the fever left her, and she got up and began to wait on him. When evening came, many who were demon-possessed were brought to him, and he drove out the spirits with a word and healed all the sick. This was to fulfill what was spoken through the prophet Isaiah. He took up our infirmities and carried our diseases. Excellent. Okay, what was it like? There's a little bit later on the track. 
What was, what was it like to be a disciple on that day? Well, yep, wow. Yep, pretty freaky. Yeah, I don't know about you, but, you know, seeing demon-possessed people suddenly being set free, there, there's nothing sets quite the fear of God in your heart like that. Yep, go. Freaky, wow. Shocked? Yep. Yeah, there probably was. I, w- I would say, I, I don't know about you, but I think maybe if I was one of Jesus' disciples, that probably this is what my face would have looked like a lot of the time. My goodness. I just can't believe it. Wow, did that just happen? Are my eyes playing tricks on me? What else, have, what else have they got going on then? You know, so there's, there's a bit of a ri- revival, but this is, you know, this is four chapters later. You know, you know things are cranking. What, what have they got going? You get a train going and it's got momentum. Yeah. They're part of something. That's a, it's not just a flash in the pan, but it's something that's got momentum. It's crazy. It's wild. It's shocking. It's like, whoa, what's happening? And they're a part of it. They're right at the forefront of it. They are right at the forefront. Now, you've got to remember, how, you know, what do you think the crowds were like at that time? Chaotic. It's got to be chaotic, eh? You know, they go to someone's house. Jesus heals her. She gets up and cooks some bacon and eggs. And, um, and yet they're getting invaded by all of these people. So there's probably something else starting to go on for them at that stage. What would that be? It's like, you know, we're right in the, we're right in the limelight here. Yeah, we're right in the limelight, you know. Yeah, there's, um, we've got paparazzi, you know. We just we can't get away from this. We're in this. So not only is there incredible things happening, but by that stage, I would be starting to think, man, whoa, this is crazy fun. But you're starting to see that actually this does have a cost. There is a bit of a cost uh, involved in this as well. Very good. Okay, Matthew uh, 8, 23, verse to 27. Anybody want to read this one? The storm. Who likes a storm? Who likes to preach about a storm, preach up a storm? Anybody going to come and help me? Going. Going. Gone. Okay, I'll read this one. Here we go. Then he got into the boat and his disciples followed him. Without warning, uh, say this with me. Okay, it's got this word furious. Say it out loud with me. On three. One, two, three. A furious storm came up on the lake so that the waves swept over the boat. But Jesus was sleeping. The disciples... <laughs> I love that, eh? Uh, what, was it? what sort of a storm was it? What was Jesus doing? That's cool, isn't it? Yeehaw. So that the waves swept over the boat, but Jesus was sleeping. The disciples went and woke him, saying, Lord, save us, we're going to drown. He replied, You have little faith, why are you so afraid? Then he got up and rebuked the winds and the waves, and he was completely calm. The men were amazed and asked, What kind of man is this? Even the wind and the waves obey him. What was that moment like? Amazing. Absolutely. What else was it like? Eye-opening. What else was it like? Overwhelming? Yep. If he can do that, what else can he do? Man, this guy's got power over everything. Yep. Fear of God big time's hitting you now. What else? Someone said it. I heard it. Starts with sk, ends with eerie. Scary, yeah. These are fishermen. These were fishermen. So is it scary? 
Okay, cool. I've got the point now. These guys were fishermen, some of them. You know, they were used to being in tempests. They were used to being in some big swells. But they were freaking out for their lives. Why do you think, why do you think the storm came up? What, what may have been one of the causes for the storm? Maybe, yep, shows power. Yeah, might have been a bit of enemy activity in there. Might have been something coming against them. You know, there's a bit of opposition, isn't there? Yep. That can be pretty freaky, can't it? You know, when we're, we're hammering along on a direction and then, boom, up comes wind and waves and some opposition that we weren't expecting? That can, uh, that can get you going, can't it? So, you know, this wasn't, this wasn't just, you know, the, the easy old road, was it? Okay, there was also some stuff that they had to face that actually showed them deep down inside where was their trust. It revealed to them their heart. It revealed to them, um, maybe on this occasion, their, their unbelief. Because Jesus just gets up and he just says, be still. He's, he's like, dudes, we were going to the other side. That was my commandment. Chill out. It's going to be okay. You guys have got power over this. So they're, they're seeing some things where they're actually, they're learning, aren't they? They're learning some things that they could actually have power over themselves. Um, and yet, but the cool thing is, where was Jesus? He may have been asleep, but he was right there with them. Okay, he hadn't just left them out there by themselves. And that's one of the, one of the things I love about walking with God, eh? Is that he's in the storm, in the boat with us. And he may be quiet and he may be leaving it because he knows that we've got authority over it. But when things get too big for us and we go, man, I'm, I'm failing here, we call on him and he's right, right there, closer than close and able to help us to implement and do what we need to do. He's pretty cool, eh? He's in the storm with us. All right, let's have a look at, uh, we're going to shift over to Mark for a moment. And let's have a look at Mark chapter 6. Verse 17. Sorry, verse 7. Then. Jesus went around teaching from village to village, calling the twelve to him. He sent them out two by two and gave them authority over evil spirits. These were his instructions. Take nothing for the journey except a staff, no bread, no bag, no money in your belts. Wear sandals, but not an extra tunic. Whenever you enter a house, stay there until you leave that town. And if any place will not welcome you or listen to you, shake the dust off your feet when you leave as a testimony against them. They went out and they preached that people could, should repent. They drove out many demons. They anointed many sick people with oil and healed them. What is that moment like? Jesus calls you together and says, right guys, here you go. You're empowered with power. Go out, take the good news and, uh, and heal the sick. You've got power over demons. Off you go. Two by two. What's that like? Pretty cool, eh? Because not only are you now observing, but you're also doing. You're now a part of it. He's invited you into this crazy revival that's going on. What else is that like? What's that like when you get sent out to do something for the first time? It's exciting, but it's also terrifying. (laughs) Yeah, it's pretty scary, isn't it? It's pretty scary. It's like, whoa, man, have I got this? Uh, And you've actually then got to start to believe in 
something that is internal. Pretty cool. Awesome. Okay, uh, let's have a look at, we'll go back to Matthew. Uh, Matthew 14, verses 9 through 12. The king was distressed, but because of his oaths and his dinner guests, you probably, hopefully you can pick up where we're going with this one. He ordered that her request be granted and had John beheaded in the prison. What was, what was John to Jesus? Forerunner, cousin, yep. Um, his head was brought in on a platter and given to the girl who carried it to her mother. John's disciples came and took his body and buried it. Then they went and told Jesus. You're in the in crowd. You're one of Jesus' disciples. You're close to him. What is this moment like? Yeah, confusing. Yeah, big time confusing. Because what did Jesus said he was? He had come to set the captives free. And what had just happened? One of the captives just been beheaded. So yeah, confusing there. Man, do we have confusing times as believers? We do, don't we? We just things seem to perplex us. We're just like, what on earth is going on? And you know, if you look at that and you think of that in terms of, if you just look at that in terms of a couple of days, couple of weeks, maybe even a couple of years, you're never going to understand it. But we look at it in the context of 2,000 years later, don't we? And and we go, wow, you know, there was an amazing revival that was taking place here. Um, And while we still, you know, we don't fully understand that, we know that in the light of eternity, John, was still a victor, that he fulfilled what God had called him to do in his lifetime. So confusing, perplexing. Do you know what Jesus did at that time? He actually moved closer to Herod. So they were in one town. They actually, if you track his path, he actually moved closer. Now you've got to be thinking of one of the disciples. John's just gone. Jesus is moving us closer to the guy that just took him out. What's that like as a disciple? I don't know about you, but I'd be going, ah, Jesus just had a thought. Maybe we should just go over to this village over here and spend a bit of time with them. Would anybody else be like that? How many people would be like, Jesus, that's a great idea, let's move closer? But see, Jesus was like that, wasn't he? He just like, you know, he would walk straight into the face of things. He was not afraid. And, and he required that of his disciples as well, to walk smack bang into the middle of things. All right. Um, probably the other thing that the disciples are starting to see then is there can be a cost involved in this. There's a cost in, in following Jesus and, and doing what God has called you to do. Okay, jump into John with me, John chapter 6. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John... Verse 53. Okay, now, by this stage, I mean, we've got serious momentum here. We've got, we got crowds. This thing is going off. You know, this is like, uh, this is the revival of the century, decade, lifetime history of planet Earth. Um, and then Jesus has this great idea to preach one of his 
you know, top messages. He comes out and he go, he says, guys, I tell you the truth, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood. Sounds like something out of a vampire movie, doesn't it? You have no life in you. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him up at the last day. For my flesh is real food and my blood is real drink. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood remains in me and I in him. Just as the living Father sent me and I live because of the Father, so the one who feeds on me will live because of me. This is the bread that came down from heaven. Your forefathers ate manna and died, but he who feeds on this bread will live forever. If you're introducing someone to Christianity, this is probably not the first scripture you're going to turn to, is it? You know? Um, Yet Jesus gets up in front of all these people and says it out loud. Now, to tell me, what are you doing as a disciple? What are you doing? Well, if I got up and I and I preached that, I said, "Guys, eat my eat eat me, eat me, drink my blood." What are you doing as a church? You're probably starting to evaluate which other church you could be a part of and ring around you. Yeah, get the barbecue going. Let's get Chris on the barbecue. Yeah. Yeah, pasta for lunch, yeah. <laughs> We're having pasta. <laughs> yeah, you're, you're sitting there going, oh my goodness, what, what on earth is he doing? I would be. I'd be sitting there going, dude. And then you're watching the crowds walk away. You're like, oh, we had a good thing going. You're perplexed, aren't you? You know, these, these, these were real guys. This really happened. Sometimes you have to remind yourself of that in the Bible, don't you? These were real people. This really happened. This is what Jesus said and did. See, Tracy's even walking out now, but she's just, you know, she's like, this teaching, who can follow it? <clears throat> jump, uh, jump ahead to verse 66. From this time, many of the disciples turned back and no longer followed him. And he looked at the twelve and he said, do you guys want to leave as well? And Simon Peter answered, and what a great answer, Lord, whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. We believe and know that you are the Holy One of God. Basically, he's saying, dude, I have no idea why you just did that. I have no idea why you just said that, but I know, I know you. I know your heart. I've hung around with you long enough that it doesn't matter what you throw at me. I'm not going anywhere else because I know that you have, you have something eternal. You have something eternal. Um, and uh, believe me, um, and, you, and you guys know this anyway, that there are times when things happen in our Christian walk that just absolutely perplex us and we don't understand. We don't understand. And the tendency is to walk away from what we don't understand. I can remember a time when, and so as a young person, I was pretty confident. And then I had a, a series through, through um, Christian things of just my confidence being completely eroded. And I sat there one day and I thought, man, I used to be confident. What has happened? I, my confidence has been completely taken. And then God started to build my confidence not on my abilities, but on His ability in me. At the time, perplexing. Didn't understand it. Why are you doing this, God? But yet later on, 
and for, for, for the course that God wanted me to uh, fulfill and to go on, that was part of the journey that I had to take, where he actually had to show me that confidence needed to be in him rather than in myself. Anybody else relate to things like that? We've just been like, God, what are you doing? And a couple of years later, you're like, wow. And at the time I was in the valley, I had no idea. But I look at it now and I go, man, I am so grateful that God, you took me through a process so that now I can stand a whole heap stronger. So, uh, yeah. So there is perplexing things that happen in the kingdom. And, um, and like I said earlier, you know, they couldn't afford to look at the size of the movement then. God, Jesus just got, you know, probably, I don't know, a couple of thousand people walk away from him. We'd be like, what are you doing, dude? But yet, you look at the movement now, there's, I don't know what, a billion, two billion people around the faces of the planet on earth just right now that believe in Jesus and are followers of Jesus. Look at that. Was that worth a couple of thousand people walking away so that a couple of billion could believe? You do the maths. John 8 verse uh, 54. So flick over a, flick over a chapter. Ba-da-ba-dum. Thank you. John eight fifty four through to fifty nine. It doesn't make sense. Okay, don't worry about that one. We'll, we'll skip ahead to uh, Matthew sixteen. So go back to Matthew sixteen. I must have put a wrong reference down there. Matthew 16. It's coming. I'm getting there. Sixteen, verse twenty-one. Okay. From that time on, Jesus began to explain to his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things at the hands of the elders, chief priests, and teachers of the law, and that he must be killed and on the third day be raised to life. Peter took him aside. God, Pete takes him aside. Has a few words to him. He's like. Jesus, what are you doing? He's like, never, Lord, he said. This shall never happen to you. Jesus turned and said to Peter, get behind me, Satan. You're a stumbling block to me. You do not have in mind the things of God, but the things of men. Okay, Peter, how are you feeling right now? <laughs> yeah, rebuked. Yeah, tail between the legs. <laughs> yep. Anybody want to sort of enjoy that moment? You know, it's like Jesus just goes, get behind me, Satan, looking at you. Not a flash moment? Not a flash moment. But yet, what was the, the, the thing that was within Peter is that he had actually caught a hold of something that was actually contrary to what the kingdom required. Um, and um, when we read that scripture there, I mean, it can seem very harsh. And I don't know, maybe in that, that culture... Um, you could be uh, a lot more direct and blunt. Um, probably, if it was said in a New Zealand culture, it'd probably be a tempered a, a little bit more, <laughs> because we like things tempered a little bit more. Um, but, but the basic thing was there was that Jesus was revealing something that was in Peter's heart that was not going to be helpful to him. And you know, 
and that's a part of the journey with God, is that I have had thinking in my lives, we've all had thinking in our lives, haven't we, where it has been actually contrary to what kingdom thinking is, and God reveals it to us and says, that is not helpful to you. And he's not doing it because he wants to condemn and leave us in a place. You know, you've got to remember that there was relationship here. These guys have walked together for, I don't know, probably a couple of years now. Um, and, uh, but, but God loves them so much that he won't sit back and go, oh, yeah, okay, I'll just cover that one over. But he actually says, actually, Peter, there's something in your heart that is of the, uh, of the wrong camp. Something in your heart that's of the wrong camp. Um, and, what, and, and while we don't like that, do we? We don't get excited about that. Yet that is a part of what God will do. Is he will actually, he will confront us with the lies that we believe. And it's not the fun part of Christianity, is it? It's the hard part. Because then we've got, we've got to do something with that. And there's some change thinking that, that needs to come in. It's the tough part of Christianity. But yet that is also a really important part of Christianity is getting the ways of the world out of us so that we can live in the fullness of the kingdom. Um, yeah. Matthew 21, I'll read this quickly. Verse 6. Uh, verse 6 through to 11. 6, 11. The disciples went and did as Jesus had instructed them. They brought the donkey and the colt, placed the, their cloaks on them, and Jesus sat on them. A very large crowd spread their cloaks on the road, while others cut branches from the trees and spread them on the road. The crowds that went ahead of him and those that followed him shout, Hosanna to the Son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. When Jesus entered Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred and asked, Who is this? And the crowds answered, This is Jesus, the prophet from Nazareth in Galilee. If I was a disciple on that day, I would have had a big smile on my face. Big smile, because here is someone who has believed in me, who has called me, who has done so much that I've got so much to be thankful to, who's not left me in my stinking thinking, but has taken me out of it. And here he is being honoured. That would be cool. And you get to walk along beside him as he's being on it. That would be a buzz, wouldn't it? That would be pretty cool. Um, and so, you know, a part of the opportunity for us as believers is not only do we get that opportunity to, uh, to honour Jesus ourselves, but on a Sunday morning we come together and we're there together as others honour Him and lift Him up and go, yeah, you are the King. You are the one who has made such a change in my life. So as disciples, we get those moments where it's like, yeehaw, we're selling. I mean, this morning was one of those, wasn't it? It's like, man, let's lift him up. He is amazing. He's incredible. And it was so cool to, uh, to be there. So for me, if I was a disciple, that would have been uh, incredibly, uh, incredibly amazing day. What was it like on the day that Jesus got crucified for the disciples? What was it like? Pretty average, yeah. Pretty average. Again, pretty perplexing. What on, we thought this guy was going to be king. And now he's been captured. He's been killed. Our hope has been killed. Not a flash day as a disciple. And you saw how Peter's kind of responded to that. He's like, man, this is dangerous, man. I'm, am, I, am I next? Uh, no, I wasn't with him. Nah, it wasn't me. Denies him three times. Because their hope had their hope had been killed. 
Matthew 28, verse 5. We'll make this the last one. The angel said to the woman, Do not be afraid, for I know that you are looking for Jesus who was crucified. He is not here. He has risen. And just as he said, Come and see the place where he lay. Then go quickly and tell his disciples he has risen from the dead and is going ahead of you into Galilee. There you will see him. Now I have told you. Okay, what is this moment like? Word is spreading like wildfire that Jesus is no longer in the grave. Stone, which is way heavy, has been rolled back. Grave cloths are all nicely folded up. Jesus is not there. There's an angel meeting them there saying, Jesus isn't here. He's gone ahead. He's heading into town. Catch a bit of Burger King for a catch up with you guys. What is that like for the disciples? Come on. What's it like? Shocking? Yeah. Are they feeling happy or are they like, hmm. yeah, probably freaked out? Yep. Yep, bewildered. But then they see Jesus and what's that like? Come on. This dude's just risen. Last time you saw him, he's on a cross. This time he's right there in front of you. He's got a heart that's beating. He's, he's real. He's legit. That's got to be cool, isn't it? That's got to be way cool. And, um, you know, sometimes in our Christian walk as well, we feel like our hope has been killed. You know, you're just like, why would I go on? But you know what? Our God is in the business of resurrection. He is in the business of resurrection. And sometimes, again, we sort of think, well, I don't understand what's going on here. Why would Jesus go and be killed? Ah, what am I going to go on for? And then he restores something. Bumpfa, we're like, man, I can't believe this. Wow. Man, I've had, had times, we've all probably had times where things have been stripped away, they've disappeared. We feel like, man, I got, what do I go on? Because God says, it's not finished yet. It's not finished yet. I got something in my other hand. Don't throw your toys out of the cot yet. Because I have got something else in the other hand. You know, the, the point of this message today um, was because I thought I'd read a lot of scripture and then I wouldn't have to prepare a big message. It's not true at all. Um, The point of this message today was, number one, was to help, uh, to give you a fresh perspective on actually how powerful it is to look at the scriptures in the then and there. You know, actually put ourselves in the shoes. It is so easy to read words. But can I encourage you that when you're reading the Bible, think, what is that like? You know, maybe read some commentaries to get a bit more of an idea of what the context of that world was like to live in. Because that helps us to bring some incredible lessons out of it that we may never have seen. But the other thing that I wanted to show you is that in this Christian walk, we have signed up for a crazy life. We have signed up for a wild adventure and there will be the highlights. There will be the momentum. There will be the incredible things taking place and we're like so grateful that we're put on this planet for such a time as this. But then there are times when there are the lowlights that we have to walk through. The trick is to don't get proud in the highlights and don't throw your toys out of the cot in the lowlights. Sometimes what we carry is sought and is craved. And sometimes people want to pick up rocks and throw them at us. 
because our words to them just make no sense, in fact, just threaten them. Sometimes what we have is craved. Sometimes we are persecuted for what we carry. Sometimes it is violently objected. You know, we will have comfy, fulfilling times in this walk that we've been called to. But then we will also have wild, hard, freaky, difficult storm times. But who's in the boat with us? Who's in the boat? He never gets out of the boat. He says, I will stay closer to you. Sometimes he'll take us the most difficult way we can imagine. You're like, Jesus, it is real quick to go that way. And he says, let's say the scenic route. Like, Dude, why are you doing this? But in that process, he knows what he's doing. And if we will trust him, he will bring it about. Sometimes we will feel as though hope has died. But ultimately, if we stick with him, we win. The story's already, already been printed. We win. Good news? Look at the end of the Bible. We win. In light of eternity, it may seem like, what on earth is going on? Uh, sorry, in, 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 in the light of uh, our lifespan, around what's going on? But in the light of eternity, we win. We win. Father, we thank you that you are working all this crazy stuff out that takes place in our lives. And that you are closer than a brother to us. That you are with us, Lord. We thank you, Father, that when things, things seem perplexing, uh, that you will help us through those times and you will keep us looking in the right direction. We thank you that in the midst of the storm that you are in the boat with us. We thank you, Father, that you have called us to be a part of something that is a whole lot greater than us, that is a whole lot more fulfilling than we could ever imagine that you have given us the opportunity to bring your kingdom, to bring signs, wonders, miracles, to, to tell the good news and bring the gospel to people. And Father, we thank you for those opportunities when that is just so gratefully received. And we thank you for the grace that you give us and the strength and the boldness and the courage you give us to go on when that is greatly opposed as well. We thank you, Father, that we get to walk this crazy journey out with you. And that ultimately, at the end of the day, that we win because of what you have done. And you're awesome, though. Everyone said, Amen. Very good. <laughs>